And I tell you, prayer is something that everybody seems to recognize the need for, and yet most people think that prayer is just basically however you choose to do it, and it really doesn't matter how you pray, it's just, just as long as you pray. That's not true. There's right and wrong praying. You know, I just read an article in Reader's Digest this week, and it was talking about the places on the earth. It grouped things according to nations, and it did a survey how often people pray. In the United States, 55% of the population of the United States says that they pray every day. And of course, when you get that kind of a statistic, this is including people that cry out of desperation. They aren't born again and they pray help or whatever. And, and so, you know, this is a skewed, skewed uh, survey. It's not exactly accurate. But nonetheless, 55% of Americans say they pray every day. But you know the countries that have the most prayer? It's the Muslim nations. They are forced to pray or they cut your head off. You have to go to this prayer and they, they fall down and they chant things and they call that prayer. And they say that some of these Muslim nations have 70 or 80% that pray every day. But I can guarantee you that that prayer is not availing anything because it's not in the name of Jesus. It's not getting anything from God. It's not going to work. All prayer is not the same. So anybody who thinks, well, I pray, what do I need to learn about prayer? You need to find out the biblical way to pray. And I've specifically entitled this teaching, A Better Way to Pray. It's not like it's the only way to pray. Or it's not titled, You're of the Devil, if you don't pray this way. <laughs> and it's also not entitled, The Best Way to Pray. Because you know what? I'm still learning. And I'm, I'm still looking to get better results in what I do. But I'm saying that the way that I have come to learn to pray is better than the way I used to do it and better than the way that the, I hear most people praying. And let me just offer this to you. I'm not saying this in an arrogant way, but until you begin to get better results than I get, you know what, maybe you ought to consider a better way to pray. I have people that, like I said, I've had some friends who've been partners with me for 20 years get up and leave when I taught on prayer because I countered so much religious tradition and they were offended and they got up and left the service. And there's people who get offended. This is very offensive because I'm going to attack a tremendous amount of religious tradition. And I can guarantee you if you're breathing, I'm probably going to counter something that you do in prayer. And yet, some people will get so mad and incensed and want to fight, and yet what you're doing isn't working. You've been praying and asking something for 10 years, and you had not got any results, and yet you're going to fight to the death for your way to pray. I'm saying if it's not working, maybe you ought to consider there's a better way to pray. And let me also say this, that everything I'm teaching against, I've done, and yet God loved me, and I loved God. This is not a criticism of you. You can only do what you know. And many of us have just been brought up with these religious traditions that make the word of none effect. Mark chapter 7 verse 13, Jesus said, your traditions and doctrines of men make the word of none effect. And that's exactly what's happening. The reason most of us believe in God and believe in the power of prayer and yet see so few prayers answered and manifest is because of the way we're doing it and the religious traditions that just void it of its power. And so if you aren't getting the right results, I'm not trying to talk you out of prayer. I'm actually talking for the positive effects of prayer, but I'm saying that there has to be an adjustment in the way we approach this. And this is also one of the reasons that I think there's so much opposition to prayer today is because so much of it is religious. It's hypocritical. And you know, before I even get into this, let me just attack some people right off the bat. <laughs> but when you have to change your voice, and you have to all of a sudden, now you've got to scream, and you've got to yell, and glory to God, uh, everything's got to have an uh on it, and uh, and you've got to uh grunt, and you've got to do something, and you've got to jerk. You're just religious. That's not God. If you talk to God differently than you talk to me, you're religious. If you go into these and vows, you're religious. You got religious tradition. And that's one of the reasons that it's unaffected. You know, I read the King James 
I believe if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen. I like the King James, but you know what? I don't say these and thou's and mightest and wouldest when I talk to God. If you do that, you're religious. Does that mean that God doesn't love you and you don't love God? No, but I'm saying that you know what? You need to be real. You need to talk to God. And this is one reason that so many people are turned off to quote unquote religion because it is just form and symbolism and it's not substance. Look over in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus was teaching on prayer. If you were to read this exact same thing, it's listed in Luke chapter 11. And he gives what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. That same thing is repeated here beginning with Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. And in Luke 11 where it lists this exact same thing, it says as he was teaching in one place, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So all of these things that I'm going to be reading to you out of Matthew were in response to a question about, Lord, how do we pray? And the Lord started teaching on prayer. And look at the very first thing that he said here in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 5. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues. Before I go on with the rest of this, let me just make this point. Before Jesus taught how to pray, he taught against religious prayer. Now this is, gonna, this is what I'm saying. It may offend you, but I'm not intending to offend. But until we get rid of religious traditions that make the Word of God of none effect, your prayers aren't going to be effective. Many of us have got our house built on a wrong foundation. And it's not going to stand the test. And this is one of the reasons. And so, you know what? For some of you, I'm just pulling the foundation out from under you. I'm going to attack so many religious traditions that it may be offensive, but the purpose is to help you, not to hurt you. And I'm following the example of Jesus. When Jesus started teaching on prayer, the very first thing he said is, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray. So here's my first point. Hypocrites love to pray. Hypocrites love prayer. Did you know prayer in itself has no value? Muslims pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. And it does no good whatsoever because you can't get anything from God the Father except through the name of Jesus. And there isn't just one God who manifests Himself. There's not many roads to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You cannot have a relationship with the true and living God except going through Jesus. There is no Buddhist path or Muslim path or any other path. It says in Acts chapter 4 that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. You have to come to God through Jesus. And so there's people all over the world that love to pray. There's people that spend hours and hours and hours praying. Hypocrites love to pray. Just because you pray does not mean that you are connecting with God. That's important that you understand that. There is no virtue in prayer. There is virtue in relationship with God. And all prayer is, is communication. Right now, I'm communicating with you. You know, we even say this. We say, I pray you. And what that is, that's a request. It's just a communication. It's an old English way of saying it. We don't use it a lot, but we do that talking to people. You, you communicate with people. That's all prayer is, is communication. And when you have to change your voice or get on your knees or fold your hands or cross yourself or do something before you can pray, you're just religious. Amen. Thank you for your thunderous silence. <laughs> and I can tell many of you don't like this and you're, you're, you're offending me. And again, I offer to you, what is what you're doing? Is it working? Is it changing anything? Are you seeing people raised from the dead? Are you seeing blind eyes open? Are you seeing miracles happen? You know, Melinda, she's a director of our prayer ministry here, and she was just telling me at our Atlanta GTS, we had five people come out of wheelchairs. We had blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people with curvature of the spine heal. 
We are seeing miracles happen. We'll see miracles happen right here tonight. I've already seen miracles happen, praying back there with people. If you aren't seeing results, then why do we cling so hard to our religious traditions that aren't working? If you were truly connecting with God, there would be results. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, many of us are going through religious traditions that are making the Word of God of none effect. And unless you're willing to give up some of your traditions and do some things differently, you aren't going to get any different results. You know, it's a definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Some of you have been praying for 20 years and you hadn't seen any results and yet you're getting offended and you don't want to change. If it's not working, you ought to at least open the door a little bit and consider that maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe there's a better way to pray. Amen or oh me. Hypocrites love to pray. Prayer in itself is not virtue. It depends on whether or not you are truly conversing with the Lord and making contact with Him. There's a right and a wrong way to pray. You know, one of the very first things I tell, especially women, it seems like women are more concerned about their husbands than husbands are about their wives. And I have women that come a lot of time and say, could you please help me? My husband's a reprobate and he does this and he does this and he does this. And would you please pray that he'd be saved? What can I do? And one of the first things I tell them is quit praying for your husband. And some people are immediately offended. How could you say that? Because I've heard what they pray. If you spend 45 minutes saying, oh God, he's a reprobate, he beats me, he beats the kids, he beats the dog, he spends our money on junk, he's irresponsible, he won't clean up his clothes, he doesn't pick up after himself, he won't do anything around, and you just spend 45 minutes, oh God, look how bad he is, and then you say, in the name of Jesus, save him. (laughs) You know what, that prayer has done more damage than it's done good. You are going to have what you say. And if all you do is repeat the problem. See, a lot of people think that the purpose of prayer is to tell God how bad your situation is. I mean, God's got this huge desk in heaven and there must be a million prayers that come across his desk every day. His inbox has got to be huge. And so you've got to just impress on him how bad your deal is. And you've got to say, oh God, the doctor said this. As if God doesn't know what's going on. Prayer is so that we can inform poor misinformed God about how urgent our situation is. This needs to go to the top of the pile. This can't go through the normal chain of command. We got to have a quick, urgent answer. Please put this to the top of the pile. That's the way some people pray, as if God doesn't know what's going on. That's all wrong. It's an insult to God. He's going to say some of these things as we go through this. But the very first point, you just need to realize that there is no virtue in prayer itself. Hindus pray, Muslims pray, Buddhists, Hare Krishna, everybody prays when they get a gun stuck to their head. Oh God! Prayer in itself isn't going to do anything unless you pray correctly. There is a right and a wrong way to pray. There is a prayer that gets results. And if you aren't getting results, then you need to consider a better way to pray. Amen? So the first thing he says, when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are. Here's one of the things that the hypocrites do. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of man. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If you pray for show, whether it's for show to other people or show to yourself, you know what, your prayers are hypocritical. And they're ineffective. Of course, I'm saying this to all the people that didn't come tonight. God laid this on my heart for everybody who's not here. So you just take this for somebody else. This wouldn't apply to any of us. You know, I had a man come to me one time who used to work with Larry Lee. And I don't know how many of you remember Larry Lee. And back about 15, 20 years ago, there was a major push in the body of Christ on could you not pray one hour? And they took these scriptures from Mark chap- uh, Matthew chapter 6 and they taught the Lord's Prayer and taught how to use it kind of as a track to run on and taught you how to pray an hour a day. And they, they had 
I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people around the United States praying an hour a day. And you know what? There's benefit to that. I'm not totally against that. But nonetheless, and I'm not saying this against Larry Lee, but one of his associate pastors who took his mantle and went out and taught his seminars, he came to Colorado where I was, and I went and heard him, and the next day he wanted to come by and see me. And the first thing he did was when he walked in, he says, So how much do you pray every day? And you know, immediately I tried to process, why does he want to know how much I pray every day? And I couldn't think of any good reason for it. It either had to be so that he could condemn me, criticize me, and have leverage on me, or it was to make himself look good in comparison or something. I couldn't think of it. Why would you go up and ask a person how much time they spend every day praying? I, can't, I couldn't think of any good reason for it. But see, that's, that's the way hypocrites are. They pray and they want everybody to know how much they pray. Actually, in Jesus' day, he, there was another passage over in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew where Jesus said that they sound a trumpet before them. And they would pray. And they had people that they prayed to, paid to walk along and they would blow trumpets so that everybody could see these Pharisees that would kneel down and pray openly. And when they gave an alms, they blew a trumpet so that everybody could see what they were doing. They did it to get praise of men. And you know what? There's a lot of people today that pray so that they can get praise from people. Either praise from people or so that you can soothe your own conscience. There are many of you that have been told that if you want more results, what you've got to do is pray an hour. You've got to do this and you've got to do this. And so you're praying to fulfill some obligation so that you can feel good about yourself and feel that now I'm worthy and God see how I denied myself and I did this. If you are using that motivation, your prayer is useless. You're a hypocrite. I'm saying this in love. Everything I'm saying to you, God has said to me. I'm not mad at you, but I'm saying that's the wrong motivation. Prayer is supposed to be for communication. You know, how would you feel? God is a person. You know, this would really help you if you could just get this concept. That God is not a force. He's a person. And you would talk to God the way you talk to a person. You know, how, would, how do you think our relationship would go is if you came up to me and you said, Oh, thou Andrewist, I am so gladest that thou hast come today. And you started through this big thing and you did a monologue for 30 minutes and never gave me an opportunity to say anything. And all you did was just talk, 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 talk. And then you walk away and say, Well, Andrew wasn't very friendly to me. He didn't say a word. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. You were talking the whole time. Did you know prayer ought to be that you listen sometimes as well as talk? Part of prayer is sitting there and saying nothing and listening. And you go in and you talk to God like He's a real person. I'm going to get into that more as we go through this series, so I won't stay there tonight. But I'm saying we've got all of these religious forms. You know, I had a pastor friend of mine. He's still a friend of mine, but I used to pray with him. And when we would pray, he was a pretty mild-mannered guy, but when we would pray, he'd just change into another person. He would go to screaming and yelling, and he would walk and hit the walls and scream at the top of his lungs, and he just, it was like a machine gun, just brrrr, and he would just talk, and I mean, there, I don't know, I never even heard him take a breath. I don't know how he did it. He just talked, talk, 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 talk. And he got up at church one Sunday and he says, you know, I was out jogging and the Lord spoke to me. And he says, and then he stopped and he says, I don't know why the Lord speaks to me when I jog. He says, I pray an hour or two every day and God never talks to me when I'm praying. But when I jog or when I'm in the shower is when God speaks to me. And I went up to him later and I said, I know why. I said, God can't get a word in edgewise when you're praying. It's like talking on one of those old transmitters where you're supposed to say over every once in a while and give the other person a chance to talk. But he just talked and talked and talked. And that's what a lot of people call prayer. There's a lot of people that just schedule their... They have these prayer lists. I have people come up all the time and say, please put me on your prayer list. I don't have a prayer list. <laughs> what would you think if we, you tried to come up and talk to me and you had a list 
that he's going to occupy the first hour of our conversation. And you said the exact same thing every time you came up to see me. You talked about the same people. You asked the same things over and over and over. And if our, if our relationship was just you going through a monologue and saying the same things over and over and over, you know what? I wouldn't enjoy that prayer time. I wouldn't enjoy our conversation. And that's exactly what prayer is to a lot of people. There's no communion. There's no relationship. You got your agenda. You come in and you mention all of your things and never ask God what His opinion about anything is. You don't talk to God and let God talk to you. You're going in with your request and you got a list of 50 people you're praying for. And God heard you the first time you prayed, 20 years ago. And you're still asking the same thing. You know what? You think that you're going to be heard. You are praying to impress yourself, to soothe your own conscience, or you're praying to impress other people with how much you pray. All of those are the wrong reasons. Amen or oh me. And it says, if they do that, it says, they have their reward. You know what that means? That when you stand up and say, man, I pray an hour a day, and everybody goes, oh, man, aren't they awesome? They give you that little pat on the back. That was it. That was your reward right there. You just got it. That's the extent of what that prayer has done. It got you a little head nod from somebody, and they think, oh, aren't they holy? That's the extent of your prayer. That's what it accomplished, and that's all it accomplished. It doesn't accomplish anything with God. God looks at the motive of your heart, And if your heart, if the reason you're praying is because it somehow or another gives you leverage with God, it makes God move, y'all don't look at me in this tone of voice. Some of you are looking at me like, who would ever do that? I've done it. I've tried to manipulate God. I've thought, God, I don't know why you didn't answer the first time I prayed, but I'm going to get in there and I'm going to grab hold of the horns of the altar and I'm not letting go until you come out. I'm going to get in and, and, you know, if God won't listen to your prayer, then call the prayer chain and get 50 people or 100 people putting pressure on God. He doesn't love you enough to answer your prayers by yourself, so get 50 people and certainly he wouldn't turn down 50 people. Or if he won't listen to the prayer chain, then fast. And right before you just die of hunger and you're writhing in pain and you're miserable and you got a headache, even an un loving God, whatever his reason is for not answering your prayer, he's bound to answer your prayer when he sees that you're going to go on a hunger fast and kill yourself if, you, if he doesn't do it. And so you manipulate him by fasting. I've done every one of those things. And I can guarantee you there's some of you, you probably wouldn't say it the way I said it because that's too obvious. But you know what? You are praying for yourself You are praying to give you leverage with God. Every time you do that, it's an insult against God. It's a slap in the face of Jesus that Jesus didn't reconcile you to God. You've got to earn it by your holiness and by your prayer. There are some of you that feel like that if you don't pray an hour a day or whatever your requirement is, that God doesn't love you enough and God's not going to move. And if you haven't got your prayers answered, you just need to pray more. That's wrong. That's hypocritical. And it won't release the power of God. In the next verse, verse 6, it says, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. This isn't talking about literally you have to go into a closet. I've done that too. (laughs) When Jamie and I first got married, you know, all we had was a one-bedroom apartment. There was a bedroom and and a living room and a kitchen. That was it. And... I prayed two or three hours a day in tongues. And so, you know what? I didn't want to just be taking up the whole apartment. So I went and sat in the closet two or three hours every day and prayed. But you know, this isn't literally talking about that you have to be in a closet. If you look this word up in the Greek, it's, it's, a, it's taken from an Eastern home and it says a place where a room where you store things or for privacy. This is just talking about privately. In other words, don't make prayer a show. 
where you are doing it to get the recognition of other people. And I guarantee you there's a lot of people that it's all about getting other people to recognize how holy you are. There's people that their voice deepens and they become dramatic when they pray, all about trying to get recognition and wanting everybody to admire the way you pray. And you know what? That little pat that they give you on the shoulder about, oh, I enjoyed that prayer. That's all you got. God's not going to answer a prayer like that. So when you pray, just do it privately. Do it in secret in your closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to thy Father which seeth in secret. And thy, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. If your heart is right in prayer, and if you aren't praying to impress people or to soothe and salve your own conscience and make you feel like now you've been holy enough and God can now flow in your life. If you have prayed with the proper motivation, well then God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Prayer that is with the proper motivation avails much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But if you are doing it with the wrong motive, the motive totally voids your action. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when it was talking about love, it started off, you know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, it profits me nothing. In verse 3 he says, If I give all of my goods to feed the poor or if I give my body to be burned and don't have charity, God's kind of love, it profits me nothing. The, the motive behind your action is more important than your action. Prayer is good, but if you are praying to soothe your own conscience, to make you feel worthy, to earn the blessing of God, to impress other people, you have totally voided any good that's in your prayer. Your motive has to be right. You know, there's people that come up to me all of the time and they'll say something to me, but the truth is they don't care anything about me. They are wanting me to recognize who they are. I had a meeting like that today. And you know, it's just so obvious that people somehow or another, like I, we had a person one time that came to our house when we lived in Lamar, Colorado. This has been 25 or more years ago. It's been more than, it's been 30 something years ago. And they went to the Chamber of Commerce and found out where we were and they came to our house And this woman came in and it was the only night I'd had off in over a week. And we were having a family time with our kids. They were real young at that time. And it was the first night we had had off in like 10 days. And this woman came and we let her come in and she sat there and just shot the breeze and told us about her dog, told us about things I'd never seen this woman before in my life. She sat there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Finally, I said, so why did you come? And she said, oh, I just wanted to tell people that I'd come and sat in Andrew Womack's living room. You know what? She didn't want me to minister to her. She didn't have anything that she needed. She just wanted to somehow or another. It's, it, she came for her benefit, not for mine. You know what? That's a wrong attitude. And we can see that in relationships, but God the Father sees that with us, that we come often and we say that we're praying, but the truth is we are just going through our monologue. We've got our agenda. We're going to pray over what we want to pray to. And if God wanted you to pray over something and go do something, you couldn't do it because you you hadn't finished your prayer list yet. God can't get a word in edgewise. That's useless. That's religious. Prayer, the way it's being done, is hurting many people's relationship with God. You know, again, when I first got started, I knew that you're supposed to pray. There's scriptures that talk about praying. And some of you think I'm against prayer because I'm countering the wrong use of it first. But I'm not against prayer. I'm just against wrong motives and wrong way of praying. But when I first got turned on to the Lord, I had people say that you ought to pray in tongues an hour a day. And I'm an extremist. You can ask my wife. If an hour a day would be good, I figured two or three hours a day would be even better. And so I just made a commitment that I was going to pray in tongues at least two or three hours a day. And I mean for, I don't know, six months or a year, I probably prayed in tongues uh, for at least two or three hours a day. I would set an alarm 
And I would go in and at seven o'clock I would start praying. And you know what? I'd pray in tongues and I'd bind this and I'd loose this and I'd walk and I'd kick and I'd shout. And I did everything that anybody else has ever done. And I did that and it was a ritual. I forced myself. I disciplined myself. The very first time I did it, I prayed and I thought it must have been at least 30 minutes. And I looked at the clock and I'd been five minutes. It took me forever to get to where I could pray three or four hours at one time. And I mean, there was some benefit to it. One of the benefits was it was a discipline. Rather than watching television or something, at least I was making the approach towards God. And I'm sure that there was some benefit to it. But you know what? It just got to where it was drudgery. It was drudgery. I hated it. And yet I knew I was supposed to be praying. And so I felt bad about not enjoying my prayer time. And one time I was just talking to the Lord, which was really more prayer than what I did during this prayer time. And I was talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, I I don't mean this bad. I don't want to offend you. But I said, I hate this prayer time. I said, 15 minutes to seven, I get to dreading it. I could be just worshiping you and singing and studying the word and having a wonderful time and you're speaking to me and I just feel like everything's wonderful and then it comes time I have to go in and pray for three hours and it just bothers me. And I said, I get to where I start dreading it at a quarter till seven. He says, don't feel bad. He says, I start dreading it at six. And all of a sudden, my lightning fast mind thought, you know what, if God dreads this, and if I dread this, why am I doing this? And I was doing it to fulfill something that I was told that you had to do this, and I just started saying, Father, I'm not going to pray that way anymore. And I quit praying on cue. That would be like you having your family together. And you know that you need to spend some time together, and everybody goes their own way. They don't even eat meals together. Everybody's doing their homework. Somebody's watching television, but you need some family time together. So you just make a decision that from 7 to 8, every night you're going to fellowship. You know, there's nothing wrong with that technically, but how you enforce it depends on everything. You can't make that happen. And if you, you know, your kids on the phone talking to their best friend, another one who's watching a show that's not going to be over until 8.30 and and you want to from 7 to 8 is your family time, and all of a sudden you go in and stop that, get off the computer, turn off this television, hang up, do it now, and if they don't do it, you punish them. And, and all right, three, two, one, fellowship. You know what, if you do that, you would ruin your family. Now, there's nothing wrong with you having a time set aside for family, but you've got to be a little more flexible than that. If somebody comes to the door, don't just slam the door in their face and be rude to them because you're fellowshipping with God. I was at at one of these services one time, and Jamie and I used to do everything. Jamie would get up and lead the singing, and I would be at the back. This is when I was on radio, and people didn't know what I looked like, and I just wouldn't say anything. And I'd be at the back running the sound system, and and Jamie would be up here, and everybody would be wondering, I wonder where Andrew is. And I was at the back watching them. And I remember this one woman who was just sitting there during the praise and worship and she sat her hands up just glorifying God and was crying and supposedly in fellowship with God and her little girl was pulling on her skirt. Mama, mama, mama. And she was ignoring her. And this kid just kept pulling on her skirt. And finally, I was sitting right behind him running the sound. And this woman just turns around and slaps her little girl across her face and says, shut up, kid, I'm praising God. She went back like this. And I thought, boy, a lot of good you're praising God's doing. You know what? If you have to slap your kid in the face and tell him to shut up so that you can praise God, you ought to quit praising God. If you have to be rude to somebody and spank your kids to make them fellowship with God, you know what? Something's not working. And yet this is the way religion teaches us. It's just formalism. You go through rituals... Prayer to most people is a ritual. You wouldn't recognize God if He was to come up and shake your hand, introduce Himself to you. And you can do that not only with prayer, you can do that with anything. One time I was reading the Bible. And you know, I had a, I had a schedule I was going through where I read the Bible through twice every year. 
And I got behind one day, and so I had like 10 chapters to read. One of them was, I think, Psalms 119 that has 168 verses in it. And man, I had a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. But I had this little ritual that I went through about, oh, God, speak to me as I study your word. And anyway, I started reading, and on like the second verse, God started speaking something to me, and I was getting revelation from something and I was beginning to really enjoy it and I just kind of put the Bible down and I was meditating on what God said and then it dawned on me that I still had 10 chapters to read and I just threw that thought away and I went back to reading scripture and the Lord spoke to me and he says what are you doing and I said I'm studying the word and he says why do you study the word and I said so you could speak to me and then it went quiet I got to thinking about that. You know, the reason I'm reading the Bible is so that God could speak to me, but he started speaking to me. And in effect, what I said was, God, don't bother me. I got 10 chapters of the Bible to read. What about my daily Bible readings? You know, the goal of prayer isn't to pray an hour. The goal of prayer isn't to go through your prayer list. The goal of prayer isn't to soothe your conscience or make you look good in the sight of other people. The goal of prayer is so that you could communicate with God and that God could talk to you. And if, before you even get through your Hail Marys, God speaks to you, you ought to talk to Him. You ought to let Him speak. Isn't that a novel idea? I know some of you think I'm mad at people and I'm trying to put... I'm just trying to expose it. Brothers and sisters, we got so many religious traditions. It's a miracle that we ever contact God. It's all screwed up. In verse 7, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Well, this is another big one. He goes on to say, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. The heathen have chants that they quote. If you go into a Muslim mosque, they're all singing the same chant and they're all doing... It's a vain repetition as a heathen does. It is not Christianity. It's not true. Reciting your Hail Marys, going through our fathers is vain repetition that is completely against everything Jesus is teaching. There is zero value to it. Was that too subtle? (laughs) Anybody miss that? I know many of you don't like this, but I'm telling you the truth. That's a religious tradition. And you know what another religious tradition is? Down in verse 9, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. To recite that as a prayer is totally missing everything that the Lord intended. The context, he says right here, don't use vain repetition. Repetition means don't say the same thing over and over. God never intended for this prayer to be prayed and chanted or prayed in unison. It's a model. It would be more appropriate to call this a model prayer. He's showing you, like it says in Psalms 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So the first thing you do is praise him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He doesn't want you to say those words He wants you to start praising Him. You enter into His gates with thanksgiving. You pray for His will to be done here on earth the way that it is in heaven. People have prayed that a million times and then they'll turn right around and say, well, I think that God gave me this sickness to teach me something. You just pray. God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there is no sickness and He told us to pray that His will be done here the way it is in heaven. But it's a vain repetition. They don't even think about what they're saying. They're just reciting the words. That's religious. It's tradition. It makes the word of none effect. You aren't supposed to say those words. You're supposed to intercede and say, Father, help me to manifest your presence here the way that it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no sickness, there's no more sorrow, there's no crying, there's no disease. 
people aren't doing all the weird things that we see in this life. And, oh, God, I want to see that happen here. Use me today to help heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and cast out devils. And that's what you're praying. You aren't reciting these words. This isn't even a New Testament prayer. Some of you are thinking, well, it's in the New Testament. But Jesus hadn't died yet and put it into practice. If you were to flip over to John chapter 16, Jesus said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Now ask in my name and you shall receive. This isn't prayed in the name of Jesus. Every prayer that's prayed in the New Testament needs to be prayed in the name of Jesus. This was an old covenant prayer and it's more of a model prayer showing you that you praise God. It's what I call the sandwich technique. If you would start off praising him for how awesome he is and then say, give us this day our daily bread, and then you would end it with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. God, you're awesome. If you would always sandwich your request in between talking about how awesome he is and how big he is and then thank him at the end, if you would use that technique, you'd find out that you wouldn't walk away discouraged after prayer. You'd be in faith. But see, most of us just run in and, oh, God, the doctor says I'm going to die. And the doctor says this. And I remember dear old Susie, Aunt Susie died of this same thing. And I was at her funeral and I saw her waste away. And you spend an hour talking about what the doctor says and what happened to Aunt Susie. And then you go to the Internet and research it and get all of this unbelief. And, oh, God, if you can do anything, help me. And we say, in Jesus' name. That's not prayer. Charles Capps one time was praying. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, Charles, what are you doing? He says, I'm praying. God said, you aren't praying, you're complaining. There's a lot of what we call prayer that's nothing but griping and complaining. Well, I believe that I'm supposed to just vent it and let it all out and tell God how I feel. God doesn't want all of that ungodliness and junk that's on the inside of you. Some of it, you ought to bury it. You shouldn't say it to God or to anybody else. Now, God knows how you feel. I'm not saying that you hide things. But don't sit there and just enforce every negative feeling and fear that you have. You start off by praising God. Here's the way you ought to respond. If the doctor says you're going to die, you ought to go in and say, Father, thank you that the Word of God says, Psalms 118, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Thank you that by your stripes I was healed. If I was healed... I am healed. Thank you that Psalms 107 verse 20 says that you sent your word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. In uh, 3 John chapter 1 verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So Father, I know it's your will to heal me. I know that by your stripes I was healed. 1 Peter 2 24, it's already been done. So Father, I just thank you that you are all powerful. You are almighty God. And if you would just start your prayer before you even tell him that you had cancer. Start him, praising him for all of this. You know what? By the time you got to your request, you'd say, oh yeah, that doctor told me I'm going to die. But Father, he doesn't know that yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. And you know what? You would shrink your problem right down to where it's no big thing. But what many of us call in prayer is just getting before God and griping and, and expressing every fear that you've got, repeating every negative report, saying everything wrong, and then we say in the name of Jesus and think that makes it prayer. That's not prayer. That's griping, it's complaining, it's unbelief. You ought to approach God with a little respect and honor and you ought to think about what you're saying. It says that in, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when you go into the temple, watch your mouth. It's better not to make a vow than it is to make a vow and not pay it. Put a hand over your mouth lest you say something wrong. When you approach God, you ought to owe Him the respect that you would approach me with. Many of you know that, man, I'm a faith guy and that I believe in healing and you wouldn't come up to me and say the things that you say to God. And yet you'll just go up to God and say every rotten thing that comes to your mind, every feeling, every emotion. Again, I'm not saying that you hide it. It would be appropriate to say, God, you know how I feel. I'm sorry. Help me get over this. Help renew my mind. I'm not saying that you hide it, but I am saying that you shouldn't empower it by speaking forth all of the doubt and the unbelief that's in your life. 
This says don't use vain repetitions such as reciting the Lord's Prayer, such as doing the rosary, such as saying the Westminster Confession, such as doing any of the religious things that we do and then call that prayer. That's not prayer. It's religious. It's tradition. It makes the word of none effect. And if you have to change your voice and say glory to God and put hallelujah in there a few times and you can't just say hallelujah, but it has to be hallelujah and it has to be the Holy Ghost instead of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you're religious. Is that plain enough? You know, I was praying in here this morning. I taught a... I taught our Bible college students and alumni and I was praying and I forgot exactly how I said it, but I was talking about don't, you know, the scripture says don't uh, be a backbiter. And so I said, Father, forgive us if we've backbitten. And then I said, is it backbitten or we've bitten back or, you know, I was still praying, but I couldn't think of the right way to say it. And I said, oh, well, Lord, you know what I mean. And I... You know what, some people just wouldn't do that, but that's what I'd do if I was talking to you. You know, God's a real person. You can talk to God as if He's really a person, as if He has feelings, as if He's intelligent. You can talk to Him like He knows who you are and what you have need of even before you ask. See, it goes on to say this. In verse 7 again, it says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Well, let me just say this real clear, that this is basically what religion teaches. The more you pray, the more results you get. This is not true. There is no virtue in long prayers. Not from God's standpoint. Now, there may be a discipline for you, If you've been used to just sitting in front of the television 20 hours a day and just feeding yourself until your brain is mush, it might do good for you to get into the presence of God and pray an hour a day. And it might be discipline. If you want to look at it as discipline, zero complaint from me. But as far as God, there is no virtue in long prayers. Some of the best prayers you can pray are, Help in Jesus' name. That's a great prayer. If you'll notice when Jesus prayed, he says, be healed, be still. Those are the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed and he got pretty good results. Jesus didn't have long prayers. Now he did pray. There's twice in the New Testament that Jesus prayed all night long. It's recorded in some different gospels. So there's like seven times that that's recorded in the gospels. But if you put it in chronological order, there's only twice that Jesus prayed all night long. One time was before he called his 12 apostles and he prayed to get God's mind on which ones to appoint. And he prayed all night long that time that he sent the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee and he went up into a mountain and prayed all night long. Those are the only two times in Scripture that he prayed all night long. I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray long, but there is no special virtue or benefit to praying long. Man, some of you are just like, oh man, what's the point in praying? I'm pulling the rug out from under you. Before we can build the right foundation, we got to tear up, jackhammer this old foundation. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people that you're praying for your benefit. You're soothing your conscience. You're fulfilling some requirement that your religion is placed on you and you soothe your conscience by doing it and you aren't connecting with God and that's useless. Actually, it's detrimental because you're deceiving yourself and thinking that I've communicated with God and I really prayed and believed. And the truth is you never made contact with God. It's detrimental. Amen or oh me. In verse 8, Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask them. The purpose of prayer is not to inform poor misinformed God about your problem. I hear people pray all of the time and they, Oh God, we 
we just, this country is going down the tubes. Oh God, we need a revival. And then you spend 20 minutes trying to convince God that we need a revival. God, they're doing this and they said this and they did this. God, the doctor said this. The lawyer has said this. We need this to happen. And you are trying to convince God as if he was a person that didn't know what's going on. Again, some of you are looking at me like, who would ever do that? I bet you every person in here has done that. All of us, we just feel like we've got to convince God that this is urgent. Oh God, please listen. He says that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And let me also add this, that your Father knows what you need better than you know what you need. We say, oh God, I need this much money. And the truth is, you may not need that much money. You might need to get to learn how to handle the money you've got and quit blowing it on things and be a better steward. You know, this economic recession, I can guarantee you, if every person in here would have been a good steward of their money, if you would have listened to God, He'll tell you. It says in John chapter 16, I believe it's verse 13, that the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. Do you think that the Holy Spirit didn't know that there was going to be a bust in the economy in October? He knew it, and it's a promise that He'll show you things to come. Did you know God spoke to Jamie in January of 2008 and said, take all of your money out of anything that's risky and put it in something safe? And I don't believe that God spoke that to us only. He was speaking it to everybody, but most of us were going through our prayer list. Many of us were praying in tongues and not letting God speak. And you know what? He spoke to every born-again believer and He shows you things to come and we didn't hear. So maybe what we need is not money to replace the money we lost by our bad investments and not listening to God. Maybe what we need is to hear the voice of God and start learning something and become more God-dependent to where we don't do our own thing. So... You know what? God knows what you need better than you know what you need. So instead of going in and giving Him, you know, option A or B, maybe you ought to say C, none of the above. God, what do you want me to do? That's like Peter when Jesus came walking on the water. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. How is Jesus going to answer that prayer? He didn't say, Lord... And is my faith up to walking on the water? Lord, do you want me to walk on the water? If he would have asked either of those questions, he might have got a different answer. The Lord might have said, Peter, you don't need to walk on water. I'll be there in just a few steps. Stay in the boat. I'll take care of things. He might have told him, Peter, you only got faith to go 10 feet and I'm 15 feet away. He might have told him a lot of things if he would have asked it different. But he said, if it's you, bid me come on the water. Well, it was him. So he said, come. How's God going to answer a prayer like that? So he got out of the boat and he walked on water for a ways, but then he began to sink. God had to rescue him. You know, it would really help if instead of you saying, oh God, if you really love me, then do this. Well, he really loves you, but maybe that's not what he wants for you. Maybe it's not God's best. You know, when I was in the Baptist church, I used to pray and say, oh God, I I wanted to leave. I, I really wanted to leave. I wanted to go someplace where people believed God and believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and miracles. And I wanted to leave, but I kept thinking, oh God, you love the Baptist. And every time I'd pray about it, I'd say, oh God, don't you love the Baptist? Do you want, what, you want me to leave the Baptist church and just let them go to hell and be sick and poor? And Don't you love the Baptist? So how's he going to respond to something like that? He kept saying, stay there. For two and a half years, I stayed in the Baptist church after I should have left. And finally, one day, I just was fed up to hear with all of the criticism and I was being persecuted and stuff. And finally, I said, God, do you want me in here? And he said, no, leave. (laughs) It's the first time I gave him that option. But if you say, God, do you want me to just leave these people and let them go to hell? Well, certainly he's not, that's not what he wants. And so how can he answer that prayer? God knows what you need more than you know what you need. So instead of spending 90% of your time telling God what you need and trying to impress on Him how important it is and how He's got to give priority to this, you've got to have it by this time. God knows what time you need it. God knows things better than you do. Quit 
giving God ultimatums and telling Him what He's got to do and just come before Him. And I hadn't got time to teach you all the rest of it, but at least get rid of the other thing where you're just demanding and coming in and doing a monologue and not giving God opportunity to lead you in prayer. The proper way would be to come and express some faith. Thank you, Father, that you know you know what the doctor said and you knew about this problem before the doctor told me this. Father, you know what my financial situation is and you knew what was coming before it happened and you know what's going to happen next month and you know when this thing's going to change and turn around. God, you already know everything and so I don't have to spend my time explaining my situation to you. I know that you have a plan. You, you can see where I am and where you want me to be. And so, Father, here I am. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to deal with this? Am I going to die? Is the doctor true or is your word true? And, and if you'd go in and ask maybe a few more questions and quit making so many demands, we'd get a lot better results. If we'd approach God as if He really loves us, you'd get a better response. If you approached him on the basis of his promises and said, Father, here's what the doctor says, but here's what your word says. You know what? You get a lot better results. Amen? So prayer isn't all of these things that I've countered tonight. God knows you. God knows what you need. You know, I learned this when I was pastor in a church and people would come in for counseling in their marriage. And you'd ask them, what's wrong? And the husband and the wife would tell you what's wrong. And 99% of the time, neither one of them got what the problem was. If they would have known what the problem was, they wouldn't have come to me for counseling. They were thinking it's what this person did, and they didn't understand what the real problem is. You know what? When you go before God and you think you got it all figured out, and God, what I need is $100,000. You just let me win the lottery and all my problems will be over. God knows that as you think in your heart, that's the way you are. And if you won the lottery and you kept thinking the same way, you'd be back in the same position pretty soon. And then you'd have the added failure of wasting all of those millions of dollars. Your problem isn't that you need more money. The problem is you need to start believing God and manage what you've got and learn to be faithful and do all of this. Instead of coming in and telling God what you think the solution is, you ought to come in and just express your love and dependence upon Him. And I'll explain this more as we get into this series. I'm going to be countering a lot of things. But you know what? If you really pray properly, you can get to where you don't even have to spend very much time asking for anything. God knows what your needs are. And the blessings will just come upon you and overtake you. Instead of you pursuing them with your tongue hanging out and you're panting and you're out of breath trying to catch the blessings of God, it'll be just the opposite. They'll come upon you and overtake you. You can get to where you're, you're even hesitant to mention anything because you know if you mention it, God's just going to bless your socks off and you don't want to take advantage of it. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if most of you approach me the way you approach God, we could not maintain a relationship. It wouldn't work. And that's the very reason that some of you pray and do all of these things and yet it's not fulfilling. You aren't seeing the answers to your prayer. There's a better way to pray. So all I've done tonight is just say that hypocrites love to pray, that these things are wrong. I've tried to counter some things. I haven't put down a good foundation yet, but again, sometimes you have to counter the traditions before you can get the truth of the Word of God to stick. And so I'm going to be countering this and sharing some more things with you. And I'm going to share with you what the real purpose of prayer is and how to pray properly. So there's, there's good news coming. Amen. Some of you may not have liked it tonight, but you know what? You, you got to sometimes be terrified before you can be edified. And we're, we're doing this to bless you, not to hurt you. And if what I've said rubbed you the wrong way, you know how to solve that problem? It's like when you pet a cat the wrong way and their hair all stands up. You know, if you go against the grain, you know how to solve that problem? You just turn the cat around and keep petting. And it'll all lay down. So if what I've said rubbed you the wrong way, just repent. Turn around and say, Father, forgive me for my religious traditions and it'll go to feeling good. 
Amen. Praise God. And again, I don't claim that I've got it all figured out. I'm still learning. And I, you know what? Everything that I've countered tonight, I've done. And yet God loved me. And God still loves me tonight, even though I don't say that I've got it all figured out. God still loves me. God loves you. Your heart may have been right, but I'm telling you, praying wrong will affect you. It will hinder you. And it can actually do more damage than it can do good. And so I encourage you to humble yourself. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. If any of these things convict you, then just repent. Turn, turn around and it'll go to feeling good. It'll all lay down. 